Alright, hello everybody, today is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays this year I've been doing a regular segment about the Long Island Serial Killer. But just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that this program is available for free downloads at Launchpad 1, there's a link to that in the description box. Launchpad 1 allows you to download the audio version of this program as a pure podcast. You can take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. If you would like to download the video version, you can use YouTube Premium, but that you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. And there is also a link in the description box for the buymeacoffee.com page. It's under the same name as my Instagram handle, blackboxnid88, but buymeacoffee.com allows you to support the show. And if you'd like to make a contribution, everything will be spent on either equipment or future book discussions like buying true crime books to talk about here on the channel and if you make any type of donation you'll get a shout out on zodiac mondays but today I'll, i will be talking about the long island serial killer and i would actually just like to ask you guys one more challenge question i often begin the zodiac killer news reports that i do on mondays with a challenge question but I would like to just ask you right now, because I saw this one on YouTube, and somebody was just asking, what is your preferred length for a podcast? What do you think is the ideal length of a podcast? And um, some people who listen to this program say that they like the longer episodes, but some people say that um, they thought that the shorter things that I've done, such as the Zodiac Killer debunking series, was uh, preferable to them. Those were usually between uh, 9 and 15 minutes long. Me, personally, I like the 3 or 4 hour episodes, and uh, some people um, do those. I'm a big fan of the show The Rational Mail, which is hosted by Rolo Tomasi, and he normally does about a 3 or 4 hour live stream once a week. Some of them are a little bit shorter, but as Joe Rogan said, uh, podcasts do not have to deal with the time limits and constraints that TV and um, other media outlets have to deal with. So that really is an advantage. The reason why I like those longer ones is because I can listen to one hour on Monday, one hour on Tuesdays, and one hour on Wednesdays. So I end up um, just listening to a little bit here and there, and I do make it to the end of the episode. Back in 2020, I decided to um, change the channel a little bit. I used to do this show every day, seven days a week, for 20 minutes, and I would just put out a 20-minute podcast segment talking about whatever subject I was exploring in the true crime world, but there's some other episodes out there as well. And I um, was really um, in sync with that, but then somebody made the suggestion, like, instead of doing it 20 minutes a day, seven days a week, why don't you do it three days a week for close to an hour or so, between 30 minutes and an hour, and that's what created the current format of the show talking about the Zodiac Killer on Mondays, and Wednesday is either the Long Island Serial Killer or the AMA, and Friday isn't anything goes where any subject is fair game. But after I started putting out hour-long episodes, somebody wrote in and said that, hey, Ned, hour-long episodes are great, but we really need 90 minutes. And I completely agree, because when I listen to podcasts that are like one hour long, I, at like the 55-minute mark, I'm just completely pulled in, like, I'm just pulled into the discussion. I've been listening to this person talk for an hour. Okay, we already feel like we're best friends at this point, and then, oh, it just ends. No, I like to just keep on going and going. And as I said, if they're longer, 
and I can listen to it over a course of a couple days. But uh, what is your answer to the question? What is your ideal length for a podcast? And I will be, um, you know, just listening to what you guys have to say, and this can be used in some future episodes. Now, to get to the Long Island serial killer material, I wanted to respond to your questions and comments in this episode. And the Long Island serial killer operated most likely between 1996 and 2010, but we aren't completely sure when the first crime happened and when the first crime ended, and we're also not completely sure when and how many serial killers could be in operation. I mean, were all of these crimes committed by the same person? The authorities believe that there were 10 to 16 victims of the Long Island serial killer. Almost all of them were female, except perhaps one Asian male who was more or less a cross-dresser. Almost all of them were adults, with the exception of a toddler who was the daughter of one of the other victims. And she was the daughter of Peaches Jane Doe, who was murdered in 1997. The crimes from 1996 to the beginning of 2007 were mutilations, dismemberments, the victims were cut to pieces, for lack of a better term, and in, in some cases their remains were located, relocated to different parts of New York. And, I mean, at one point, what was it, even 45 minutes away, someone who had gone to very, very great lengths to separate someone's human remains. But then, in 2007, the Long Island serial killer would murder Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and she was strangled. But she wasn't mutilated. The final uh, victim that I believe was mutilated was the Cherries Jane Doe, who is still unidentified to this day. She was murdered in the early part of 2007. Maureen Brainerd Barnes was murdered in the summer of 2007. Then the Long Island serial killer would murder Melissa Bartolome, and then Megan Waterman two years after that. And then in um, the span of just a couple months, Amber Lynn Costello was murdered. So um, there's a very, very large concentration of activity from 2007 to 2010, and the victims are strangled, and they're rolled in burlap and then placed in a brushy area near Gilgo Beach on Long Island. What on earth is happening to these women? Is there one serial killer? Are there two serial killers? Did one person commit the mutilation murders in the um, 90s and the early part of the new millennium? And then another serial killer murdered the Gilgo Four. Let's look at your questions and comments. Karen Aragon says, Seems like a simple stakeout would nail this guy. Or guys, come on, Gilgo is a dumping ground. Well, absolutely, Gilgo Beach was used as a dumping ground. But um, I think the only thing that goes against the stakeout is that they discovered the four bodies of the Gilgo Four in a very close time frame together. And um, this was during the search for Shannon Gilbert. And the authorities completely knew that a serial killer was operating in the early part of the new millennium, particularly after the murders of Valerie Mack in 2000 and Jessica Taylor in 2003. They called the serial killer the Manorville Butcher. Then, in um, around the time of the murders of the Gilgo Four, a woman named Shannon Gilbert was brought to Long Island as an escort to meet a client named Joe Brewer, and she had some type of very, very frantic um, episode where she's calling 911 and she's saying that someone is after her. She even says they are trying to kill her and she's pleading for help and she's in the home of uh, 
again, the client, Joe Brewer, and he just wants her to leave. She was there with her driver, Michael Pack, and at that point, Shannon leaves her driver, and later on, she would be found dead in the marshy area on the opposite side of the parkway. I believe that that would be the, uh, that would have to be the north side of the parkway, and the victims are on the south side. But then Shannon is um, deceased. However, the search for Shannon Gilbert led to the discovery of additional murders that could have been committed by the same serial killer or group of serial killers, but the Gilgo Four were found relatively in a close time frame together, and also they were found very close together geographically, which is quite different than the Manorville Butcher serial killer who operated before that. If they are in the same person, there needs to be a reason about why that person changed behaviors. The next comment is from Miss DJ Dapper Don, aka April. That's the full name of the YouTube user. I always believe that Dr. Peter Hackett is involved. What creepy vibes he gives off. Now he's moved to Florida. Dr. Peter Hackett was the person who was involved with the disappearance of Shannon Gilbert. By involved, I mean that he made a phone call to Shannon Gilbert's mother, Mari Gilbert, and said that he ran home for wayward girls, but that appeared to be false. And the authorities looked into Dr. Peter Hackett, and they also said that they, um, didn't believe that he was the Long Island serial killer because he had a history of inserting himself into other stories and just making up things to get attention. At one point, he even tries to fake a heart attack, so to speak. And it's, um, I think that that's absolutely terrible on his part. I think he's doing a big disservice to, well, the victims. And even if it was just Shannon Gilbert at the time, to her and her family. And it's just inappropriate uh, behavior. But, um, of course he's going to be creepy, because I personally don't believe that Peter Hackett was the Long Island serial killer. I think that he was, uh, more or less a liar. Our next comment comes to us from Matt Ballou, who says, I always wondered if John Bittrolf killed them all. Has he been cleared as a suspect? John Bittrolf is perhaps, um, the most talked about suspect in the Long Island serial killer mystery and he was a known murderer. I don't believe he has been cleared as a suspect. If he has, that is not to my knowledge. But there's a page on Instagram called Catchlisk that shared an article that I read, and I don't believe the same person who runs the page authored the article, but there was a, a very powerful piece because there was talking about John Vitrolf as a Long Island serial killer suspect, and it stated that the general public has this overwhelming desire to think that it's a killer who is going to be found off of the radar just one day somehow dna is going to reveal that it's a suspect that no one has ever heard of but in reality it's most likely john bidrolf they just don't have the convincing piece of evidence to put it all together because i mean serial killers can often be very meticulous and the reason why this person was saying that is there is this fascination with serial killers. I mean, I have a fascination with serial killers. I talk about them every week on Black Box Online Radio. Why? Because I want to have a greater understanding of humanity, and this is part of it. But other people just want to think that there is this type of brilliant master criminal out there who outsmarted the police, and that there is almost this glorification of the killer. And that's why they think that thinking that there's going to be a suspect that is found off the radar might be an additional glorification. I don't completely agree with that comment. I mean, firstly, it could be 100% true that they could 
have some type of forensic breakthrough that identifies a single Long Island serial killer who murdered the victims from 1996 to 2010, and it was a suspect that we've never heard of before. It, so that possibility can't be ruled out. But I do think about that from time to time. Do some people glorify serial killers because they want to just think that there's somebody out there who could commit murders and outsmart the police. Yes, I do think there's some people out there, but I will tell you this, 99% of the people who leave comments here on Black Box Online Radio are really to the contrary. They're just trying to um, figure out what happened, because I think that that is very, very human. And I've been talking about how the Long Island serial killer um, switched to strangling the victims, and they became known as the Gilgo Four because instead of moving their bodies to different locations throughout Gilgo Beach, they're very well concentrated in a smaller area in this brushy place that is more or less on the side of the road and in between the road and the ocean, I think is a way of uh, saying, a way of describing it. But the final victim of the Gilgo Four was named Amber Lynn Costello. And I was actually contacted by her roommate, and um, one of her former roommates, I should say, and he is using the YouTube name BearBro, and says, I was one of Amber's roommates, and you have many facts wrong. I did two interviews with someone, one with Zach on his YouTube channel, just type in Bear Lisk, and you will see it. It's a Winter Brothers production, and I did an interview on the Lisk podcast. I think it will benefit you and your and yourself, sir, to have a first-hand account of what happened in that house. And, um, there are, uh, multiple roommates that Amber Lynn Costello had, and as far as putting out any incorrect information, if I did so, number one, I apologize. Number two, I was, I was citing all of the sources in that one, and almost reading off the news articles in their entirety, but some things I did have to admit, because even though there are people who are paid journalists and writers who are working for publications that we would all recognize, they're often are contradictory pieces of information. For example, in one source it says that um, Amber Lynn Costello only had one roommate. In another one it said that she had two. In another one it said she had three roommates, that, um, they were, that there were two men and two women living in the house in Babylon, New York, where she was, and that, um, meaning that Amber had three additional roommates, totaling four people in the house. So definitely is some contradictory information, but one more time, Bear Bro says you can find that on the um, Long Island Serial Killer podcast, as well as putting in Bear Lisk into YouTube. And I wanted to um, make sure that this was uh, not Dave uh, Schaller, the uh, roommate who was featured in most of the news coverage. And Michelina Serino writes in saying that his name is Bear, and the other roommate of almost six months I find it bizarre that the day he chose rehab is the same night that Amber went missing. I really believe that that house was set up, that new girl Michelle coming into the picture. And um, I can't really comment too much on that, but just reading off some of your comments here about the Long Island serial killer. We have one about one from Classic Chevy Cat who says, Absolutely feel that trust was gained before the killer turned on them. Amber Lynn Costello was one of the saddest cases in this horrific crime. Amber and Shannon brought tears. I must be so sheltered when I read about their lives. It was weird. That world is light years away from anyone that I've ever known. I agree that Shannon was not 100. No, sorry. Uh, let me rephrase that. 
agree about Shannon not being a victim, but not 100%. There is a slim possibility. Doesn't seem likely because she was wandering around in an unfamiliar area, unless the killer just happened upon her. That would mean that he either resided there or was sneaking around. Could have been a coincidence. He was there for another reason and saw Shannon. Now, I don't have the um, exact dates in front of me, but I believe that Shannon Gilbert went missing in May, and the Long Island serial killer definitely seems to operate in June and July, so that could be viewed as a pro or a con, a strike, or, a, or it could be in favor of the Long Island serial killer having murdered Shannon Gilbert. I still, to this day, think that Shannon was not a victim of the Lisk, but instead, um, there really is something about the Long Island serial killer operating in June and July and some of these summer months, and I just think that it really is quite different than the uh, Manorville Butcher crimes. And part of me really is beginning to lean toward the possibility of the um, of the group murder theory or the multiple killers theory, just that there were at least two serial killers and they just happened to use the same dumping ground. And that's why it's so confusing, because the Long Island serial killer murdered four people, and the rest of the murders were committed by the Manorville Butcher. I mean, it's it's possible, I suppose, but I'm still going with one single killer, and I also still say that Cherry's Jane Doe was a victim of the Lisk. Um, she is an unconfirmed victim, but I think that her crime, the, her death, bears so many similarities. She, she Multiple um, victims were found with tattoos of fruit on their bodies. There was a Peaches Jane Doe and Cherry's Jane Doe who both had these fruit tattoos on their breast, and um, Cherry's Jane Doe was also dismembered, mutilated. I mean, I suppose anything's possible, but I am um, just giving my two cents on the subject, and you guys can weigh in and share your ideas in the comments section down below. Anything is uh, welcome. You can uh, share your own personal theories and we have our next comment coming to us from JTOPS3000 on the episode, The Murder of Megan Waterman. She is one of the victims of the Gilgo Four, and JTOPS says, You're doing a great job on this series, Ned. Most YouTubers who have covered this case have only scratched the surface, focusing mostly on Shannon Gilbert. You are diving deep. Okay, now the comment's going to continue for a little bit. But back in 2020... Uh, so 2021, excuse me, somebody made a request. They're like, hey, why don't you do a multi-part series on the Long Island serial killer? Perhaps about 10 episodes. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. And absolutely, that was impossible. It took three episodes just to cover the death of Shannon Gilbert. And then I ultimately made the decision that I didn't think her death was involved with the Long Island serial killer case because... Um, of all the differences, as I said, um, she was found on the opposite side of the parkway than all of the other victims, and that's what the Suffolk County PD said at the most recent um, press conference. But also, um, the, the other reasons that they provided was she was able to make a recorded 911 call, and they don't believe that any of the other victims were able to do so. And they couldn't determine the cause of death. If she had been strangled, that would have been one thing, but the official medical examiner just simply said that the cause of death was undetermined. But um, I think there's a high possibility that she drowned. Now, again, I mean, like, it was just three episodes. That is just 
scratching the surface and talking about a victim who was most likely unrelated to the case. And unlike the Zodiac Killer mystery or the Jack the Ripper mystery, the Long Island serial killer case has a lot more victims. I mean, the Zodiac Killer attacked seven people, two of them survived, five confirmed people were murdered. But with the Long Island serial killer, as I said, 10 to 16 victims, and as of now, I have standalone episodes on all of the confirmed ones, as well as one on Cherry's Jane Doe, and these have been assembled into a playlist which I invite you to listen to, but it, it took a while, absolutely 10 episodes was not enough, and I also talked about the Long Island serial killer in what I called the Versus series. I did several episodes where I would compare and contrast the psychology of different serial killers, much as I said to have a greater understanding of humanity, and you can find those here on this channel. Um, I talked about the Eyeball Killer Charles Albright, the um, Stone Cold Killer Arthur Bomar, and um, I believe there's also one about Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying I believe, yes, there is one about the Long Island Serial Killer and Jack the Ripper. And uh, to continue with the comment from J Tops, this June-July timeline is interesting. A lot of those Wall Street types summer out on the beaches of Long Island, most notably the Hamptons. The killer could be on, could be some broker who lives in Manhattan nine months of the year, then rents a beach, a cottage in the summer months. One of those phone calls the killer made to Melissa's sister was traced to Times Square. That's Melissa Bartolome. Also, the girls seem impressed by this guy's money. About Abe, some young women, Abe, some young women, not sure what that means, can be fooled by a guy pretending to be rich. But these girls were professionals. That means they likely had street smarts and would be able to ascertain who had money and who didn't. I bet this guy has money and summers in the Hamptons. After killing the girls, he drops their bodies at Gilgo Beach on his way out of the Hamptons. I mean, that would definitely make sense for those um four murders, the Gilgo Four. As for the other ones, I, um, I'm not quite uh, convinced that that all ties together. But as I said, you know, this is an unsolved case. We might find out that there are two serial killers in operation. And we have a comment that came in on the episode about the murder of Melissa Bartolome, another victim of the Gilgo Four. And this is written by Sam Loomis, who was uh, made famous by the Halloween uh, film franchise. And we have a nice icon of Donald Pleasance in the, as the avatar. And Sam Loomis says, The same guy obviously killed the Gilgo Four because Miss Barnes also had a friend and family member call her up and then make some make up some crap about how Maureen was staying at a rehab whorehouse or some nonsense. This was before she was even reported missing. Then he obviously called Melissa's sister many times to taunt her. I believe, as does her family, that this is because Melissa was tough and likely fought back and probably hurt the guy, and then he killed her and taunted her sister out of spite. I mean, that's definitely some food for thought, and especially to focus on the section there about Melissa Bartolome that this person saying that someone's making multiple phone calls after her death because she fought back and she hurt the guy in some way, that um, that definitely is something to think about. I think there are some dots yet still to be connected, because John Biltroff is directly linked to Melissa because one of the victims that he was convicted of killing was actually friends with Melissa Bartolome. The calls Maureen had were from Manorville, and some of the calls to Amanda Bartolome were traced back to that area too. I think Bitrolf is definitely responsible for some of these killings, but it seems that Suffolk 
police department might be involved too. James Burke might not be a serial killer and instead just a very dirty, scummy cop, which is why he never wanted the FBI involved. I have no idea about that, about um, any um, reason why someone would not want the FBI involved with this, but, you know, you guys can share your ideas in the comments section down below. Now, as we said, in during the Manorville Butcher years, I cannot cite a single news article that I have read or found during the episodes that I did on the early crimes where phone calls were made. It's possible. It's possible. Because in 96, 97, they didn't even know exactly what was going on that these crimes were linked. The term Manorville Butcher, as I understand, really began after the, um, well, just at the uh, crimes that occurred in Manorville. And Valerie Mack was murdered in 2000, and she was given the name Manorville Jane Doe, and then Jessica Taylor was murdered in 2003. And the uh, that's when the... When I read the articles about the Manorville Butcher and the serial killer was given that name. But phone calls were definitely made after the murders of victims of the Gilgo Four. Now, I don't think we know all if phone calls were made to absolutely everyone's family members. I mean, somebody could have gone through their phone and made some call to some contact that wasn't reported, say, for example, after the murder of Megan Waterman and such. But we have something from Doug Hoffman that's talking about the phone call that was made after the murder of um, Melissa Bartolome, and there were calls to Amanda, that's the sister. Ned, glad you brought up the phone calls to Amanda. The info that I have is that seven calls were made to Amanda, and one was made to the mother, Lynn. You also brought up that police track that tracked it to a tower. Unfortunately, we were living in an analog world in 2009, and tower triangulation was rare. The phone would have continued to ping off the towers that, and would have closed the search if the phone had been left on. I told you I wanted to ask a question. This got me thinking about the Zodiac killer, and um, I'm going to skip ahead to the end. I'll save that one for a Zodiac episode. I really like your podcast. You also share the sources for your info that you present. You open the door for thought and investigation. You are the access man. Oh yes, and as I said, um, when I did the episode on Amberlynn Costello that uh, Bayer was disputing the facts with. I read off the articles, and I told you where I was getting them from, and, um, I mean, I don't see why not, and I learned a lot about that from John Lorden, who is another true crime YouTuber, who is very critical of other YouTubers and podcasters who do not cite their sources in state where they come from, and just so other people can go back and read them and find out for themselves what on earth is happening. But at this time, though, I would like to um, talk about someone whom I've not really mentioned in this episode, and I would like to go to the episode on the Fire Island Jane Doe and look at some of the comments that you were left by, that were left by you guys. The Fire Island Jane Doe is the first confirmed victim of the Long Island serial killer. She was murdered in 1996, and a couple was out walking, and they found two items which actually turned out to be human legs. Absolutely horrific. But then, later on, they found the skull of the Fire Island Jane Doe years later, like 14 years later, and they were able to draw a composite sketch of her. And we have one from Paul D. who says, I personally believe that these people are killed on a boat because where do you kill these people without people knowing? Long Island is a populated area, 
there is a marina in Gilgo. Maybe that is why the killing happened during the summer. People have their boats out of the water in the winter. I'm, I suppose absolutely anything is possible. As far as having a boat involved, it's quite possible that Cherry's Jane Doe was murdered and dumped in the water. Her body was put into a suitcase, but they said because of the storms that had happened in 2007, before the discovery of her remains, the uh, suitcase that contained them could have come from anywhere. And the final comment that I would like to address in this Ask Me Anything segment comes to us from Kara Simon, and I, there's a reason why I saved this one for last. Kara says, I'll tell you what this guy did. He's from Queens. He would be very familiar with New York City and Long Island as a driver and commuter. He drives, obviously, but also takes the train and bus because that's where the taunting phone calls were traced to. Let me tell you exactly what he does. He takes the Sunrise Highway from Queens all the way to Long Island, and this route would also put him right near West Babylon where Amberlynn Costello lived. He does his deed, probably killing them in the car or maybe at home. Then he takes the Sunrise Highway from Queens all the way across the bridge right to Gilgo Beach to dump the bodies. He is from Queens. He also uses the burlap as a means, so that means that he might be a gardener or work for the Parks Department. It's a requirement to have a license to work for the Parks Department. Um, Kara Simon, uh, thank you so much for that comment. And I did pull up the map, and again, I'm from West Virginia, I'm not a New Yorker, and you can see very clearly that Queens is right on the edge of Long Island, and it also shows you how isolated Gilgo Beach is, that someone very easily could drive from Queens, and they had some familiarity, just drive right along the south side of Long Island, past the ocean, down the Ocean Parkway, and then dump the bodies of the victims in a very secluded area of Long Island. So that seems purely consistent for the Gilgo Four. What on earth happened with the Manorville murders? I'm not sure. And I really think that, um, I'm still going to go with a single killer theory that this is the same person that he stopped um, committing the crimes this way for some reason, but you can weigh in in the comment section down below. And what do you make of the idea that this guy is a commuter? He is either living in Queens or working in Queens. Very familiar with the roads, but um, also using the subway and the buses. So if he makes phone calls, he's just another cell phone in New York City. I definitely think that that could be almost hitting the nail on the head. Okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there is always BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram. And see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.